Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer. I'm EVP Corporate Development for Montage Gold. Happy to be back on here with Matt at Crux uh, to talk about the Coney Gold Project. A lot has happened since we last spoke with Matt in February. We've now finally released the results of our PEA on the project, which we're very excited about. Uh, in a lot of ways, it did exceed our expectations, and I believe it really does demonstrate that the Kone Gold Project itself, you know, is justifiably a standalone development that you would want to build in, in Cote d'Ivoire. Has a long mine life, has significant economies of scale, uh, low cost structure, you know, production that peaks at over 300,000 ounces a year. You know, lots of good things going for it, and you know, we're excited to be here to talk about it more. Brilliant. Good to have you back, Adam. How have you been keeping? Keeping just fine. Things are starting to feel a little closer to normal uh, back in Ontario. Uh, so, you know, no complaints. Sweet. Okay. Well, like, I um, appreciate it. We, we, we tried to catch up with Hugh last week, actually, and he, but he was having connection issues in country. It was a bit like that, you know. <laughs> yeah, so. we'll, we'll get him on. We'll get him on next time. Yeah, yeah it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be good, good to catch up with him because we are we had him on crikey over a year and a half ago. Um, but yeah, big news. So the PEA is out, but let's just kind of reset. So step back a little bit just for people looking sure. at the starting to look at this story. Okay. Um, you've got yourself a, a 3 million ounce um, uh, resource that's inferred. Okay. Um, you, you've been putting out drills out since we spoke in, in February, some, you know, nice numbers and over big intervals. Uh, as as well, and you kind of then deliver, you know, deliver this PEA into the marketplace. So um, you've been busy. Mm-hmm. Has the market appreciated it though? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I think um, you know, if you're measuring it on a short term basis, I think uh, you know, I would say the market's still not fully appreciating what we've got going on here. Um, but you know, if you look at it on a long term basis, there's still a lot of opportunity for us to get that recognition in the market. Um, you know, we're very well funded and that's been, I think one of our key assets since completing the IPO, obviously the gold market took a bit of a turn down and obviously our stock, um, you know, went down with it, but, you know, basically since early Q1 of this year, I find that the stocks rebounded quite well. Um, you know, as you said, we have put out a lot of drill results. That's from our infill program, which is shaping up very nicely. And, you know, the stock does seem to be finally reacting to it. Obviously, it's not as high as we would like it to be. I think everyone would say that about their company. But, um, you know, again, we, we, we're patient. We're executing. We're controlling the things that we can. And I think we're doing a good job at that. Well, let's talk about some of the backers here, because I think it will possibly help help people understand why you've got the confidence that you have with regards to the numbers. Because I think the, the, the main feedback in the market has been, wow, look at that capex on, on, on a, for a company of this size, that's going to be problematic. So let's start us with who are the backers and maybe a little bit about who's the team and the relevant experience. Yeah, sure. And, and, and you know, those, those are key strengths for the company. And, you know, we've set it up in this way, you know, exactly for this reason, because, you know, if you're, if you're approaching you know, building a project, you need to know that you have long-term supportive, deep-pocketed shareholders that have done it before. And so our, you know, our primary backers be Lucas Lundin, the Lundin Family Trusts. Um, they have a long history of value creation in Africa. Clearly the biggest one has been the Redback Mining story. And, you know, the core members of our team 
are from Redback Mining and they've worked with Lucas for, you know, upwards of 20 years or more. And so there's a, a strong, strong kind of team there, um, a familiarity with operating in Africa, obviously very deep pockets, very successful individuals. And so I think that, you know, does de-risk and de-risk the execution of, of the project for, for Montage, does de-risk, you know, the ability to finance the CapEx, which as you point out, obviously it's not a small number, but certainly um, within kind of the Lundin sphere of influence, bigger projects have been built in the past uh, with, you know, great success. And so that's one of the, um, you know, one of the kind of key strengths that we have. We also have the Sandstorm Gold Royalties Group, which is where I came from. So I have a project finance background myself. Sandstorm uh, has deployed hundreds of millions of dollars into projects over the last call it five or six years of which I was, you know, a primary participant in that, in those activities. So I have a lot of experience, you know, approaching projects like this from, from the other side of the table. And, you know, I can tell you that, you know, biases aside, this is an excellent project that can support a significant finance package in the market. And so with that experience, you know, coupled with the Lucas, uh, Lucas support, we also have Ross Beatty as a close relationship and a shareholder. Um, you know, we feel like we're in a good place. Okay, so let me just, and so, that, so that's, I think, useful scene setting. And if we look at the asset itself, typical kind of Greenstone type um, homogenous deposits, I mean, you're finding huge width. So 105 at 1.4, 71 meters at 1.5, 80 meters at 1.5. It's, it's, it seems like finding it's not the problem for you mm -hmm. guys. It's, which, which is great in terms of like build, building out the, this, the size of this resource into the measured and indicated case. It, it's explaining to people how you get this funded. So, you know, it's a big number. What, 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 why? And the question you're going to be asked a lot is why aren't you starting smaller and building from there? Why have you gone so big so early? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we're dealing with Mother Nature here, right? And so you have to let the geology kind of guide you down a path when you're thinking about trying to turn a deposit into a mine. And so certainly, you know, where we arrived at was as a result of that sort of process. You know, the nature of the ore body itself has a lot of benefits. You know, you mentioned some of the intervals, but really the the true mineralized width of this deposit is 200 meters or wider in areas with horizontal mining widths exceeding 300 meters. So, you know, very homogenous, very consistent, very simple from a mining scenario, um, but it's large scale. So because the deposit itself has such significant scale, then naturally you're going to partner that with a, with a mining and milling operation of significant scale too. And, and all that brings into um, you know, the economics of significant cost economies, both on the mining side and the process side. And then you look at, you know, if you look at the deposit and cross section, which you can certainly see on our website or presentation, uh, the strip ratio is, you know, probably one of the lowest that you'll find for an open pit project really globally. And that's a significant benefit. And, you know, we have, you know, relatively soft rock uh, when you look at a grinding perspective. So we have a very straightforward crushing grinding circuit, um, you know, everything essentially off the shelf, it's just bigger. And with that, you know, scale, in addition to cost economies, you get significant production. Like we're looking at during the first nine years, about 250,000 ounces a year, a life of mine of around 15 years at 205. But, you know, in the early years, the critical years with uh, capital payback, we're essentially hitting 300,000 ounces of gold per year for the first three years, driving a payback of around two and a half years for the project. So, we think, I mean, it's it's worked out, um, you know, 
significantly to our benefit by having the scale potential of the deposit. Right. Okay. So it, around two and a half years payback with with that kind of you know three hundred thousand uh, ounce number. It's thirty one percent after tax IRR. All mm-hmm. good. Who is going to fund this thing? Who's going to look at these numbers and go, "That's perfectly reasonable for a hundred million dollar company like you currently are to be, cons- you know, considering even conceiving of?" Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a whole host of groups that you could you could go to uh, to talk about this. I mean, there's obviously the commercial banks, there's the export development banks, um, there's the streaming group of of companies that would take a look at this. There's private equity. Um, there's, you know, a whole range of ways that you can, you can kind of skin this cat, um, with respect to the CapEx and, you know, our primary objective will be to minimize, you know, the actual equity dilution to our shareholders. Cause that's, I think, you know, when you're thinking about building a project and how you're going to maximize returns to your shareholders, it's how can you reduce the overall kind of net kind of equity that you have to raise, you know, an issue stock for And so because of the significance of the production, the cash flow in the earlier years, you know, we're quite confident that this can support, you know, quite easily high threes to, you know, mid fours in terms of uh, project finance. Um, and, you know, we've had initial discussions with groups kind of back of the envelope that uh, agree with that capacity. So we think uh, we're in a good spot and, you know, it's, it's obviously very early. It hasn't even really been a month since we put this out. So we're just starting to have these conversations. So we have, you know, let's say six months from now, uh, we should be in a position to publish the feasibility study. We will have submitted the ESIA as part of the permitting process. And so that's when we'll be starting to get a lot more serious in discussions with project finance groups. Um, but for now, it's more like, you know, we've had discussions with all these groups over the last two years. We finally have some numbers to show them. As a starting case, let's you know re-engage, see what they like, see what they don't like, and you know so continue. The conversations. So we, yeah, you said a couple of things that were interesting. Of course, it's way too early. PA plus or minus thirty percent. Who knows? Yeah. But you've got a, a bunch of work to do. But are you skipping um, straight to feasibility? No PFS. Is that what I just heard? Yeah. Look, I, I should have mentioned that, and we and we often do um, this. You know, this study, although it is called a PEA and we have to disclose it as a PEA, um, all of the aspects of it, you know, the, the test work, the, the engineering, et cetera, has all been done to a PFS level. Uh, the only the only aspect that is to PEA level is the fact that the resource is 100% inferred at this stage. So if it, if it wasn't that case, if we had an indicated resource, it would have been a pre-feasibility study. Um, you know, we've been executing since January a 55,000 meter infill and expansion program. Majority of it is infill. That's essentially complete. I think drills probably stopped turning or may have already stopped. And that will lead into the uh, maiden indicated resource calculation, which would be kind of late July, early August, which will allow us to transition directly into a feasibility study. And the, and the feasibility study work has actually already started. Okay, that that okay, that's that's really interesting. So that fifty-five thousand meter drill program is has completed in the sense of the drills, drills have stopped turning. You're going to start feeding this this information. You have got some results out, I guess. But when when do we get the complete set of data? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, the 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 frequency of of assays coming back from the lab has you know a bit of variability. Um, you know, we put out I think 
around 15,000 meters worth of infill results so far. So we've got, you know, another call it 40,000 meters to, to put out. And, you know, that will come in, you know, between now and, you know, I would say probably end of July um, by my estimation. And, you know, we're going to, if there are any delays in the assay results, we're going to let them all come in before we calculate that resource because the whole, the whole approach here is to convert as much of that inferred resource to, to indicated as possible. So if there are any delays on assays, we'll just, you know, wait for them to come in and make sure that we kind of completely assess the full, the full okay. data. Okay, yeah. so you want all the data in, 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 in that. So given, given that the PEA, you're telling us, the PEA has been done to a PFS standard, things like the contingency, you've got a contingency in there of what, I think 65 million or something like that, isn't it? Does that get refined? Do you get to, or you, do you think that's fairly accurate? I mean, can, can you save money there? Well, I mean, I guess by the nature of being a contingency, it's to, uh, you know, address inaccuracies in the estimation. And, you know, obviously, you go from a PEA level to a pre-fees to a fees, that tightens up a bit. And I think, you know, given that we're going so quickly from, a, you know, let's say a PFS level estimate to a feasibility level estimate, um, you know, I think there's just the natural kind of tightening of that contingency from PFS standard to FS. I, I do think there is some opportunity to bring that down a bit. You know, we're not, we're not kind of promoting that opportunity so much because I mean, it's, it's 65 million on 490. So even if it gets cut in half, does it really change a lot? Not a lot, but you know, obviously it's a nice opportunity to potentially have that CapEx figure come down. Right, okay. And with regards to, I get that that drill program is finished, but you've got 25 million bucks or so in the bank. When's the next drilling exploration program start? Yeah, so so I know that there's going to be a bit of downtime on on site for the next call it month. The guys have been you know pushing really hard. I think we had upwards of seven or eight rigs going uh, for this program. So you know they they do need a break. Um, but you know that kind of completes at least for the time being all the drilling that we'd want to do on the resource area at Kone, and um, you know then we'll be looking to kind of step off the resource area. We've started to kind of address or assess, I guess, other targets within the existing exploration license. There's uh, six total targets, or sorry, five five targets in addition to Kone. We're currently drilling one called Petit Yao. Um, we'll have some drill results coming out on that in the next you know few weeks or months. Um, but there's other targets within the license that we will eventually get back to drilling. And then beyond that, we have a number of applications to the north that are all within truckable distance. And uh, we are pushing very hard to have those issued. And we're hoping that in the next, you know, let's say month or so, we may have some additional ground to actually get into and explore for the first time. So if that happens, because we have such a strong treasury, you know, we'll be able to get in there. And, and we've already got some, some money in the budget for exploring that ground, even though it's not actually, you know, granted to us as a license yet. We're, we're you know, kind of gearing up and ready to do it. Okay, you've talked about this as a district play, right? Mm -hmm. Does the fact that the Lundin family is involved in a meaningful way and the track record with Redback, does it, that give us a clue as to how you're going to play this one? Because the questions we get keep getting being sent into us is, are they setting themselves up to be acquired or 
or are they going to are they going to bring this into production? Are they going to be doing more acquiring themselves? Yeah, and my answer to that is if you look at what Redback Mining did, I mean, obviously long before they got the takeout that they did, which is you know certainly one of the best in in the mining industry, I think um, that we've seen. They they were builders and operators, right? And uh, you know our our view, our philosophy is that you need to be thinking about this as if you are going to advance it yourself, because that is probably your greatest opportunity to create value if you have the ability to actually execute on it. Um, seen lots of stories out there where you know you drill a resource, you put a for sale sign up, you're not advancing it any further, and you just drift sideways. And if you don't have the tech, you know the capabilities. And experience in-house to advance it, then you just kind of languish. I mean, sometimes it can work out, but I think more often than not, it doesn't. Um, so, you know, we, we look at this as, you know, truly a new district in Cote d'Ivoire. Um, you know, we have the cornerstone asset that would be kind of center of gravity for, you know, satellite pit exploration and, and, and um, production operation within, you know, call it a, a 75 kilometer radius from where we're at. And, there's a ton of value that can be created there. You, you, you look at Kone on its own. Well, explain explain that. Talk, talk about yeah. why is the value created by doing a satellite pit? Yeah, because you know you look at Kone. It's a large large deposit, large scale mill. Uh, you know, million average grade of around 0.65 life of mine, but with you know very low process costs. We're talking seven dollars twenty per ton. And so you look at you know exploring within say a 75 kilometer radius here and by our estimation, there's well over 100 kilometers of mineralized trends within that radius that could be trucked. And, and this is based on an assumption of, you know, if you're pulling out material that's two grams per ton or better, you can truck at 75 kilometers relatively easily. But when you say you even find 200,000 ounces, that's grading two grams, and you're going to feed that into a mill that's processing on average 0.65, the economics of putting in that material that's more than double the grade actually more than triple um, is disproportionate to the scale of the discovery and you know yeah if you talk to Hugh about this finding 150,000 200,000 ounces whatever the number is it's an entirely different approach than when you're trying to find a cornerstone asset that you that justifies standalone development so having the cornerstone asset at Kone which you know, to our minds, the PEA demonstrates it should justifiably be developed, really de-risks the whole exploration strategy in the district. And, you know, it, it's it's relatively low cost to get out there and explore and, and, and identify these targets and advance them. And, you know, finding something that's 200,000 ounces at two grams, you know, is a game changer. It, it adds, you know, it's $1,600 gold, $150 million plus or minus to the MPV of the project from just 200,000 ounces at two grams. Okay. So, you know, if we can do that two or three times, you know, yeah. maybe more, like you, you get the sense that it would be transformative. Excellent. Okay. So, and again, just for people picturing this is they should be thinking of you like what company? Who's done this before? Because you, you're employing slightly different strategies there, but is, are, you, are, you, are you breaking ground here? Uh, maybe that's the wrong phrase to use in this sector, but uh, are you... Are you, are you um, the first people to do this was this just the way things get done yeah i mean I, I don't think we're the first people to do it i mean there's been a lot of you know companies that have established a district by first identifying a cornerstone asset and the one that just pops into my head is uh, what endeavor's done with hyundai 
in Burkina Faso. They have the big Vindaloo deposit, which I think is you know two million ounces, uh, you know gram and a half, something like that. But where they're really making their money is within kind of the radius around it, where they have some smaller satellite high-grade high-grade pits, and it's been a tremendous success. And I know that asset fairly well because back in my prior life at Sandstorm, we bought a royalty on it, and it's one of the key performers in that portfolio. So I think it does demonstrate that. You know, you get the scale benefits from your first major discovery, and then it, it frankly just lowers the bar for what is economic to bring into the mill after that. Okay. Um, yeah. Sounds like you're happy with the PEA. You think people should be happy with the PEA. Mm-hmm. No concerns there. There's no piece of it you think, gee, I wish this had been better. Oh, and gosh. I mean, of course we wish it was better. Everybody wishes their project was better. <laughs> yeah, we'd, we'd, you know, we'd love to... Yeah, I, I think anyone that says that, you know, it, it, they don't wish it was better is probably lying. Um, but, you know, we're very happy with the results. We, we take a very conservative approach to how we, how we model out these, um, these projects. We haven't even touched on that. But if you look at, look at our resource model, we use $1,500 gold. Um, you know, I think industry standard right now is probably $1,750 or higher. We've seen some resources being based on $2,000 gold pit shells, which I think is very aggressive. Um, and then the pit optimization to, you know, you build your mine plan around that. We use 1250 gold. We optimize based on that price, which again, industry standard right now is around 1500 for, for in-pit optimization. So, you know, these are the kind of the details in the background that, you know, they're not going to be a headline in your press release. But again, because we're approaching this, you know, our headline for a while was discovered to build and, it's a bit cheesy, but but the whole approach here is, you know, we're, we plan on living with this project for a long time. So we better be sure that, you know, we've studied it, you know, properly and conservatively. And that's, you know, I think if you go into the details of the study, then I think you'll find that. Okay. So what we've got to look forward to is a bunch of these assay results coming through. And um, in six, seven months, delivery of the feasibility study. Yeah. So in, in summary, I guess the news flow to, to look forward to, you know, ongoing drill results from the infill program. Um, obviously, the culmination of that would be the made and indicated resource. And I think that'll be a key milestone because, you know, so often as projects advance from PEA stage to EFS and FS, you know, your PEA is based on inferred resources. And the biggest, you know, the first disappointment typically for a project is that the inferred doesn't convert right to a higher level. And we've seen that with some of our some of our peers uh, in West Africa recently, but I, I think if we're if we're able to demonstrate the conversion that we're expecting, and he was saying he expects you know ninety plus percent conversion from inferred to indicated, then I, you know that would be you know kind of a standout achievement, and and I think would go a long way to give people more confidence and de-risk kind of the results of the PEA leading up to the FS. Um, so that's, you know, we're saying probably late July, early August for that resource and uh, the FS tracking for completion by the end of the year. But look, if it if there's a delay for some reason, you know, and it pushes into early 22, not a big deal. We'd rather uh, study it properly and get the job done, you know, the first time. And if that takes a bit more time, that's that's OK. Right. Adam, appreciate the update. Um, she's coming more regularly. The story's starting to pick up. Yeah, I appreciate that, Matt. And we'll get Hugh in for sure, um, maybe next time and, and do it more frequently. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? 
or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.